Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back. I am your host Tia Hama and today we are going to be discussing personal resilience and rebranding failure to build self-confidence. I am here with Jazz Amplifier. How are you? I'm good, thank you. That's great. So thank you so much for being here. I am so excited about this episode. I dare say this is the show that I am the most excited about so far. Oh, you say that to everybody, Tia. <laughs> no, no. The first time I saw Jazz was in a TED Talk a couple years ago, and I was absolutely blown away by how enthusiastic she is about education and bravery and just the passion. You can make everyone laugh and make everyone cry. I know you brought me to tears in the TED Talk. It was amazing. So for those who haven't watched it, I highly recommend. Um but for those who don't know you, Jazz, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yes, I'm a world-class reframer. That's who I am. <laughs> sort of listening to that story. In my TEDx, I kind of share the story of um, who I was as a child, growing up on the streets and in foster care and in an abusive situation, and how the reframing of the story that was landed on me has meant that today I'm an international speaker, I'm an author, I'm a CEO, I'm a phenomenal human female, I look a bit like Beyonce, and I'm <laughs> fulfilled and happy. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm not, this isn't pretend, you know, I should be mm. dead, I should be broken. And I'm actually a leader who, I'm not the best, but I encourage others to be their best. That is so it's the, amazing. It's the kind of, yeah, human first nature of who I am is the thing that I'm most proud of. That's incredible. So as we've already mentioned today, we're discussing rebranding failure to build self-confidence. For our listeners, how would you personally define self-confidence? Yeah, that, that's always a really interesting one because I think I think it's a bit personal to people. Like confidence for some people is the idea that they could sit in a meeting, raise their hand and share a point of view. That's That's confidence. Confidence is also the ability to be sat at home on your own and not feeling bad about yourself or being mm. able to feel bad about yourself but you think do you know what actually I can still do this so it's an internal narrative that allows you to live life as your full fat self and not turn the volume down on yourself because we live behind those two prison bars I'm not good enough people like me don't do things like this it's a smashing of those bars to I am enough and people like me do things like this that's the reframe um, of self-confidence Exactly. Yes. Smashing those bars. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But before we do, we're going to do some sort of like rapid fire icebreaker Ooh. questions. Uh, so our I'm listeners. I'm really looking forward to outdoing my last terrible attempt at this. <laughs> 
All right. So this is just for <laughs> listeners um, and my own personal curiosity just to get to know you a little bit better. Go for it. So uh, the first question, they're all quite artsy related, uh, but the first question is what is a book that you recently finished or are currently reading? Oh, so many, because I, I read about 18 at the time, but I am rereading. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I just have books everywhere because I'm a really kind of avid reader. But I'm rereading, in fact, I'm looking at it now, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And I love this book because it's about meeting people where they are, whether that's marketing or, or selling or whatever it is, or just being a person. It's about seeing what's behind the front and connecting with people on a real human level. So the book actually talks about how to build a website and how to do marketing and how to enroll people. Mm. But it works whether you're a parent and a toddler um, or, or anything else. So I, I love that book. Building a Story Brand, Don Miller. Wonderful. I have to give that one a read. Okay. Mm. What is uh, your favorite movie or one of your favorite movies? Because that can be quite difficult. I, I do have a favorite movie. It's called Dave. It was, I think it's like 1985 or something like that. And it's about, it's Kevin Klein's in it. He looks like the president. He has to stand in for the president. <laughs> the president's having an illicit affair, but the president has a heart attack while he's there. Ooh. So he has to take over the president. And again, it's a movie about Dave meeting people where they are and just being a genuine human. So it's been my favorite movie for years. I love that film. That's so, so awesome. As well. Oh, yes. Legendary. I will have to watch. I've never heard of that. So I think I will definitely need That's to add it to old, my list. Old film, but it's, it's stood the test of time. Not, not that old. Not that old. My parents will, will shun you for that. Okay. So um, obviously besides our own, what is your favorite podcast? Oh, gosh. Again, so many, so many. I'm, I'm going to go with <laughs> – I'm going to go, oh, it's a bit niche though. I don't know. That's don't okay. Know we want niche. We want niche. Okay. This tiny podcast, right? and it's it's just like, it's just, it's, my nephew runs it and it's it's talking about Aww. football, English football, soccer, which I, had, I don't even care about, but he just, he interviews his friends about matches and they give their own commentary. It's just, it's, it's, it's very niche. But what I love, even though he's my nephew and I love him, obviously, what I love is just, again, it's this just honest conversation of them chatting about a passion that they have. Mm -hmm. And even though I have no passion for football, I'm drawn into this conversation. So yeah. it's, it's, it's insane. And I, he's, he hasn't done any episodes for a while because he's got a girlfriend. So I haven't got time now. <laughs> More but important things. The, the old issues. It's just, it's a world into the kind of, you know, like 25, 24 year old men that I have no, it's not my world. And it's just, I love being in a place that I'm different to. So yeah, yeah. My, my nephew's football, football country. <laughs> that sounds so nice. No, that is, that is a testament to his people skills right there. If you can just have friends on a podcast and, and make it a podcast, that is, that is skills right there. <laughs> okay. What is uh, your favorite documentary? Oh, hmm. Mm. Oh, oh, I love documentaries. So anything, David Asperger, I could just sit and watch stuff mm. about the, I'm, I am blown away by the planet we live on. So David Attenborough is just like standard for everything. But I really, um, my life, my, I like mindset shifting documentaries. So Blackfish on Netflix about um, Shamu the killer whale um, and SeaWorld, that documentary was like baseline shifting. 
And I remember right. I took my daughter to SeaWorld when she was, because I never went, I didn't go on holiday. I didn't, I didn't have a family when I was a kid. So here yeah. I am creating all these experiences. So I took <laughs> her there and I took her to SeaWorld. And I remember trying to volunteer because they were asking for a child to sit in a boat and be pulled round by one of the killer whales or a dolphin or something. I don't know. And I remember going, me, me, me. And I look back now and I think, Mm. But I remember that helps me remember that people make decisions based on what they know at the time. They do the best they can with the resources they have at the time. And actually, it's it's really good to change your mind. You've got to forgive yourself and move forward. So I think Blackfish for that reason. Interesting. That sounds so good. Do you know where where, where can I watch that? It was on Netflix. But if you go okay. on YouTube, it's well documented. And there, yeah. I, I mean, be prepared. It's kind of my TED talk, but longer and about a killer whale. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really good combination. I'm totally down for that. Okay. And our last question is who would be your famous role model? Who's my famous role model? So I'm going to say Will Smith. And I know that that's a bit of an odd choice right now. But I also know that um, when you are navigating unresolved trauma you have low emotion regulation mm. and i'm not i'm not condoning what he did it's outrageous you can't go around slapping people anywhere at the oscars outrageous but i also see three moments you know in his life the in the fresh prince of bel-air when he does that scene where his dad doesn't it doesn't take him away and he gets this mm. anguish which was kind of autobiographical slightly the moment on the red table talks where jada was talking about having an affair and he was welling up and then the moment at the oscars yeah. And those are like three moments that belay how much work has gone into him not being like that 24-7. Yeah. So I know that we can look at this, and there's a lot that went wrong. There's a lot that needs to be looked at, obviously. But I, the way that he navigates past trauma and doesn't let that become a script for his future mm. is inspirational to me. And what happened at the Oscars was abhorrent. And both are true. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Will Smith. Yeah, I think, yeah, you brought up an interesting point and he's just released a book or he released it a while ago now, actually. I probably shouldn't say just released it, but um, yeah, he released a book, which I highly recommend um, people to read if you want to yeah, understand that mindset a little bit more. And I think it's just a really insight, really interesting insight um, into his life. And he's done some great movies. We got to give him credit there. He's an incredible actor. My mum has loved him since like the day of dawn. So we got to give him some credit there. That's for sure. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions. So we're going to go into a bit more of a deep dive now. So we're going to, we're going to track back to self-confidence um, and resilience now. So our first question, which I think is going to yeah frame the rest of the conversation is why is resilience so important in our lives? It's because it's not a choice. It's the nature of the planet. It, mm. It's it's inbred into us. And depending on where you are in your life, in your story, depending on the factors around that, that you have con no control over, um, resilience is like a muscle. It can be enhanced if you practice it. It can be diminished if you don't. But it is the, it's the reason you're not dead right now. So I know that people would say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not very resilient or recently I am very resilient. And then COVID hits and we find out how resilient we actually are because yep. resilience is not just the ability to keep going. It's the it's the time between falling on the floor and getting back up again. That's the secret to resilience. It's reducing that from years to months to weeks to days to hours to minutes, possibly seconds. 
So it's important because it's like breathing. It's not an optional extra. It's part yeah. of who we are. <laughs> exactly. and, and instead of fighting against it or, or kind of saying I'm not, it's like saying I'm not Jennifer Lopez. That's true. I'm not a resilient person. <laughs> wish. That's a choice. <laughs> you know, that's a choice. So it's about, it's up until now, my resilience hasn't been high. From now on, I would like it to be higher. Mm. So it's it's about your you living your your life you know at full volume not muted really yeah exactly I think that's a great definition that you've given there and so leading into that a lot of people think that resilience means being immune to like stresses and adversity and being immune to the struggles what are your thoughts on this misconception I'd say it's the opposite you know you do that um, walk where you go over hot coals. And people used to walk over and go, cool, wet grass, cool, wet grass, cool, wet grass. I've got no respect <laughs> for that activity. You're telling yourself something different. You walk across there and go, burning hot coals, burning hot coals, burning hot coals. That's what I have respect for you. Because yeah. the whole thing is, if you are like disassociation, as a victim of abuse when I was a child, one of the things I am queen of, um, left to my devices, is disassociation. Yeah. So I like I, I forgot um, all about my past as a five, six-year-old, um, five, six, seven, until I was about 11, and then it all came flooding back. And I felt so stupid that, how could I, have I made this up? How could I forget this? But your brain disassociates. It switches off so that you can function. It's like what your brain is almost not on your side. All your brain cares about, all your amygdala cares about is keeping you alive and not mm. burning too many calories thinking about things. So so we're, we're kind of set up to fall into stereotypical, blaming ourselves ways of being. And when it comes to reframing and telling other stories, you've got to be able to be in the moment. It's not saying everything is awesome. It's saying, you know what, everything isn't awesome, yep. but I'm in control of my own story and the pen's in my hand. That's yep. resilient. Everything is awesome, everything's fine, it's not good. Disassociating from bad also means you disassociate from good. So you, you can't experience as much joy or fulfillment because you're living here. It's like being on antidepressants. You can function, but mm -hmm. there's a window of tolerance that you can't go above because you're not in the you're not in the moment. So not being in it, that who wants to live a life on mute? I don't want to have that experience. It's like when you go out with your boyfriend, you, you get a boyfriend and your heart's so full of love and then he dumps you for your mate and then you just, Argh! but then next week you're all right again and you get another yep. boyfriend. That's resilient. <laughs> Do you know what I That's mean? Resilience. We are hardwired. We are yep. hardwired to engage in the highs and the lows. Yeah. No, completely. And I totally agree. And you've brought up a really interesting point there with the disassociation. And I think I've been very guilty of this in the past in terms of things that have happened where it's just like that survival mode that your brain goes into where it's like, okay, we're, we are just going to completely ignore this <laughs> and just go full robot. Um, and that's a really hard thing to overcome. And it's a really hard thing to push past. Just reframe, invite you into a reframe on it's something you've been guilty of. It's not a bad thing. It's not like stealing your kids' chocolate, right? <laughs> it is a survival technique that your mm. brain and your body takes on in order to get you through. Yep. The, the thing is, it, it's you can surviving is basically breathing, right? It's like basic low level being on a ventilator. You, you exist, but that's not where that's not where we're meant to to be to stay. It's just where we are for a while in order to keep moving forward, in order not to stop, in order to be able to level up again later. It goes suffer, survive, thrive drive change yep. so it's not a linear journey when we're in survival mode when we're in disassociation it's like this is my this is how i am surviving right now i won't be here forever but right now this is where i will be and this is an act of courage and bravery so it's just reframing that around oh you know i'm guilty of it it's like no this is how this is how my brain keeps going 
but I am going to always look for higher and better. Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, aiming for that. And yeah, thank you for reframing it because that's something oh, that we... Because our words, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, definitely, 100%. And I think if you've, if and everyone at some point in their lives has had to work through something that they have, you know, especially if you've gone through anything in your childhood where you, you sort of, your brain has separated that part and that event from you. Um, and it's so interesting. I personally found it so interesting when you come out of that sort of disassociation and you sort of come into sort of your normal emotions or what's classified as your normal self and you just sort of get kind of shocked of like, oh, that was the survival yes. strategy that I a lot of the time I'm not aware that I'm in. Um, and I think in those moments you have to be you have to be really easy on yourself. Compassion is king in those moments. <laughs> 100%. So you've highlighted the importance of confidence in building resilience. Can you explain just a little bit further the relationship between these two things, self-confidence and resilience? I often think it's a triangle, actually, between like resilience, well-being and confidence. Yeah. Those three. And you can, I mean, you can have a really strong sense of well-being, but no confidence. And that's going to in turn affect your resilience. So it's paying into the bank account of each of these three that builds all three of them up. It's like a stool. You can't, one leg short than the other, you're going to fall off it. So the relationship between the two, for me, it, they, they are interdependent in a way, but confidence comes because you failed and reframed so your experience i always talk about a failure ladder you know the size of a ladder the rails mm. imagine those with no rungs in it your rungs are in a basket so what you do is you fail great now you've got a rung you put the rung in the ladder now you've got something to stand on so you can fail again and then you put another rung in now you can yep. go up two and fail again and the distance between the rungs is the learning and if you fail enough times because you're aiming for it and getting out of your comfort zone then you will reach success at the top but if you yep. don't fail you haven't got a ladder you've got yep. two legs that's it so the <laughs> confidence to keep going once you've and, and and writing that story that isn't oh i'll never do this you know like when a child starts to walk my, my certainly started walking at nine months old and he, he, would, he had an older sister, so he would get up and try and walk and fall flat on his face. If at that point I said, give it up, son, you'll never be a walker. <laughs> I go, yeah, come on, try again. And that's the link between confidence and resilience. It's someone holding a vision of success for you when you're not able to hold it for yourself. Yeah. Or when it looks impossible now, but you know that that's, that's now. That's, it's no now. It's not no never. Mm. So it's, it's the, like the, I, people keep talking about hope. And I always think, you know, hope's good. I'm down with hope, but expectation's better. And the difference between hope and expectation is faith. Yep. Faith comes from confidence. So I, I think it's, you know, we, we can talk ourselves in or out of feeling these things. But at the end of the day, I've tried being miserable. I've tried giving up and it sucks. So if I'm going to be on the planet, there are going to be some changes around here. I mean, that's, you know, what else am I going to do? Just yes. sit around and go, yeah, well, it goes. <laughs> 100% and I love that yeah that um metaphor that you put there with the the ladders and the rungs and yeah that's an incredible way of looking at it I really love that so much so in that you did touch on failure which is something that we all face at some point in your life even if you've had a very nice cushy life <laughs> you at some point have been faced with failure so majority of the population or at least I'm gonna say all of humankind 
you want to achieve success and avoid failure. That's the general kind of that's the general kind of majority opinion. But for some people, the fear of failure becomes such a significant psychological threat that it starts to deplete your own confidence. So how does fear of failure influence our self-confidence and how do we rebrand that? Yeah, it's the story we start with. Like success without failure is like risotto without rice. You ever try to eat risotto without rice in it? I mean, just I'm, I'll take the risotto and I, I just I won't eat the rice. Well, good luck to you because what are you eating? Air, liquid, yeah. a bit of mushroom. The, the whole point of this is again, like you said at the beginning, it's not about trying to avoid failure because there's a a, a, a potential of fa- of pain. It's trying to say so when. When failure happens, what do I do? It's knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. And I think this is part of the problem. We go into a job or a relationship or a role expecting, hoping um, that everything's going to go great, planning for that. And and yes, we should, you know, we should be excited about it. But I kind of, you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst. But what that does, it means that I can future-proof myself. So when I take someone on, when I hire someone, I say to them, right, at some point I'm going to fire you. So what I'd love us to do is to have a conversation and think about how we're going to react when that moment comes. Like we drift apart or you go somewhere else, but you're going to leave or whatever. Let's decide now how we are going to handle that conversation so that when we get to it, it's not this emotional, oh my gosh, this is awful. Um, And it's amazing because you're like, well, you've just hired me. (laughs) So so (laughs) maybe I'll say, okay, so maybe we'll, it'd be nice if we could talk about it beforehand and both have a plan for afterwards. I'm like, yeah, great idea. So we are planning for what happens not if things go wrong when they do when people say but what if i fail i can go i can help you i've got this solved there's no if it's when so rather than spending your energy worrying about if things don't work things are not going to work things are going to be different to how you planned so what do you do when things go differently and that's the if you if you start thinking about that actually it does become a reframe because you're like so i'm in you know like my marriage it's the thing i'm most proud of in my life even though i've achieved all this stuff outside of that I'm most proud of my marriage. It's, oh. it's so much. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, and I love That's it. That's lovely. So my, but I have a plan. What if my marriage doesn't go right? What if it goes wrong? Well, my plan is before we get anywhere near that, I want things in place. I want strategies. I want communication tools. I want things we can use. So we put all those in place. I want to make sure we're spending time together. On so I'm I'm doing a pre mortem on my divorce. Getting there, going. Oh God, it was awful. I'm like, right. So that's how do I avoid the regret of ending up somewhere without planning for failure? And and how that works for me, I'm so far down the line, is that I actually aim for failure. When I start something, I'm like, right, come on, let's get the first no out of the way. Let's do it. How? Let's go for epic failure. How? Because I know how to reframe and pick myself up again because I failed so many times yeah. and I know it's possible. And I know that every failure is a step closer to me smashing it. So let's fail. I mean, I, I genuinely, the fear of failure is, is doesn't make any sense to me because fearing something that's going to help you go forward, well, I, why would you? Unless what you want is to stay. Mm-hmm. It's like fearing I'm scared of going to get a makeover because I might look amazing. So I'll stay here and not have a makeover. (laughs) That's fine. If that's your choice, that's fine. But we can't tell a story of we all want change. We all want things to be better, but everybody's scared of things being different. Everyone's scared of change. We all want improvement because everyone's scared of change. Well, pick a side. You you can have both, but you can't have both at the same time. So it's it's that thing of what do you really want? The triangle between those two. What do you really want? And with my Human First Academy, I actually say to people, 
if you are happy being stuck, if you don't want to change, if you if, if moaning is a strategy for you, don't join because you will be miserable. That yep. you will be you'll hate it. I'll feel bad. This is about measurable impact over time. This is about small steps, massive changes. And it, and I pre-warn people because it's not it's not a case of lip service. We're talking about the only show we get to perform in, the only experience we get on this planet is this one right now. Mm. And, I, and so much of mine, my first sort of 30 years were, were were stolen from me. So it's never too late to have a happy childhood. I'm just reclaiming it, reclaiming my time. That's what yes. I'm doing. <laughs> Perfect. And I love that. And I think all good stories, or at least majority of the ones that we hear of, they all start with someone having some sort of big failure or some sort of big thing that was life-changing. And I think it's all about, like you said, just sort of reframing it and sort of embracing that failure and just being like, okay, from this, what am I going to learn? Like, how can I build and improve? Because if you don't fail, then you don't move. You don't make that movement. Um, So yeah, that's a great way of, yeah, pairing it back to, yeah, that way that, we think about ourselves and our self-confidence and that fear of failure. And it's like you need to move forward so that you can have that self-confidence to be your better self. Yeah, yeah. Which is so And important. like with anything, if you do it, if you if you take the risk, however, whatever that risk is, saying yes, saying no, every time you do it, it shaves 2% of fear off for the next time. Yeah. But it, but it's... It's like, you know, eating healthily. If you have a pear one day, live on nachos and then have a pear two weeks later, don't expect to be Usain Bolt. You know, <laughs> the regularity of it that keeps him looking as fit as a butcher's dog, you know. So but it's the consistency that's important too. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned earlier your TED Talk, uh, which I loved and I highly recommend everybody to watch. Um, And in that, you explain a lot about your childhood experiences and your time on The Apprentice. So experiencing those struggles and those failures, um, has this led you to have uh, like sort of low self-confidence random periods in like in your life and random periods of time because I think a lot of people just think oh okay you have the bad event and then it's just up and there's no kind of downfall so how have you sort of coped with those sort of random little downfalls that you have after those sort of bigger failures yeah, so they're not random. It's constant. It's it's not random. So low self-esteem wasn't low self-esteem. Low confidence wasn't low confidence. It, it was my way of being. That That's like I believed from when I was little because I was I, I was like beaten and abused and, and I was the eldest of six. And my entire existence was reliant on the only use I had was to take care of my brothers and sisters. So by you know, seven years old, I was in charge of my five-year-old brother. By nine years old, I was in charge of two babies because there were one-year-old and a baby. By 11 years old, I had four of them to take care of. And so my life was about, um, my value was based on use. So I, because I could look after the babies, get them dressed, steal food for them to eat, teach the older ones how to climb over the fence to the cake factory to get scraps out of the bin. I had a use. I was babysitting from the beginning. I was the the one who could knew how to make the bottles. And so my parents could go out and go off drinking and, and they, you know, I was in charge. So I my story became you earn your value. And the moment you're not valuable anymore, you're gone. And at the same time, I'm being regularly sexually abused by my stepdad and other men. So it's being eroded completely. 
And I know that the moment I um, voice any sense of injustice, I get beaten. And my stepdad promises he will kill me if I ever say anything. So I'm in this really kind of tight world of, of kind of influence where there is no way of being apart from the way I'm being. And what happens with that is that I always talk about the three M's that, have, that you need to make a change. And that's mentors, mates and mindset. And my mindset during there was one of survival. And it is the reason I'm still here. But there becomes a point that became a point for me when I realized that what he was doing to me is how women get pregnant. When I started secondary school, we had the sex ed talk and I watched this video and I just died. I, it, with all my friends around me, I just died. Because I, I, my thing was, I'm what, what, when I get, I have no, I cannot, I am so stretched. I can no longer survive in a world where I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do when that's the case. And that's what triggered me to run away at 11, live on the streets, live with a pimp. I mean, the low, the self-confidence you need to be able to exist in that world has to be on the ground to be a belonging to someone else, to not be human. Yeah. So that was embedded and ingrained in me. And that became the truth about me, according to me and according to others. But there was also this constant question of a sense of injustice by my mentors. So I, I was lucky enough, as I say in my day talk, to have like five everyday heroes and a cast of accidental saviors, adults who didn't do massive things, but just stood for me. And it's like they, you know, those birthday cake candles that you light and everyone blows it out and then they come up again. They're great. I love to punk my kids with those when they're yeah. little. Like, it's like that. <laughs> it's like they lit something in me. So the, there's a flame. It will go out frequently. It will go out because it would be pouring water on it and being in an ocean. But then it would dry out and come back alive. And it was those mentors that helped me eventually shift that mindset. And the people I surrounded myself with when I got out of you know gangs and street life and I got into education, it, you just see a different like group people that I would have dismissed before. I would have done more than dismissed, but. Uh, you just start to think that's why my big thing is like, I want to be with people I'm different to, not people who are different to me, like I'm the gold standard of human, people I'm different to. So mm -hmm. I don't have many mates who are, you know, brown with hair extensions. I, I have a lot of friends who I'm different to because I know that that is, that's a technique for learning and growth. So the bouncing back from the self-esteem isn't something that happens quickly and it's not something that you go from being a submissive doormat to, you know, I am power pose. It is something that is a story that changes where when you realize what you're actually in control of and what you're not, there's a lot of things yeah. you can't control, but you can control the way you show up as an adult who is living freely without not being in a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship with a partner. You can control how you show up. So when I started to kind of gain those little things, that was the that was the realization that I realize that I I can I don't have to let my past affect me. Chris Akabusi is an athlete, an Olympian for the UK, and also a speaker. And he always says that the past is for reference, not for residence. And and I think that is the big shift. Once you make that shift, or you even look at that shift, things start to fall into place, and the time between you bouncing back becomes easier and better. But I have, I mean, the last time I wanted to be dead was in my first year of university. That's the yeah. last time I didn't want to be alive anymore, which is, yeah. which is, so I'm 51. So that's a real win for me. Like, it's yeah. like, how can I celebrate being sober? I celebrate not wanting to die. I genuinely do. Because that was just, 
I didn't even see it as suicidal. It was just the way I was. It's like it, it made sense with the life I had not to want to exist. That was a rational, logical choice. Yeah, because the life I had was awful. So it's it's not you know it's not rocket science. Let's just stop existing. But I don't feel or think like that anymore. And yeah. that is the the reframe. That that's I can't imagine feeling or thinking like that. Yeah, that's incredible. That's yeah, that's so inspiring. For those who are going through that struggle and those who are currently experiencing something that has diminished their self-confidence and like what you brought up before in terms of their struggling and the only logical kind of option at this point is to just sort of end it um, and just kind of, you know, this, the only logical option is to die. So what advice would you have for those people who are in that situation um, and what kind of advice can you give them for how they can build self-confidence or rebuild self-confidence? It's so hard because, I, I, like I say, this is my lived experience and books I've read and things I've watched and coaching I've done and had. And so it, it's not, you know, it's not like I have the expertise to be able to say to someone, do this or do this. I, I know what it is to be in that state and it's not... Um, it's logical and illogical at the same time. It's logical and it requires a depth of despair that not everybody gets to experience. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to presume to. What I'd want to do is stand in that chaotic fire with someone, and I can't yeah. do that because I'm, you know, trying to keep myself. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's something around in that moment. You, you do have a choice, and I think getting to the choice was liberating. It's like enjoying something that's really bad for your health because it, it gives you the the endorphins that you need but at the same time it's destroying you and that the, the it, for me and, and lots of people I've spoken to you get to a point where you feel you have no choice you have no option the only choice you have left is whether you stick around or not yeah and and it's such a glorious space to be where you have choice that it, mm. it is a place we return to we think about we obsess over and sometimes we take a decision we make a choice but the thing about that is that's not our only choice it's never our only choice. And if you're trying to do it on your own and you're not connected, even the biggest introvert, we're still humans. We're designed to be in community. If you're trying to do this on your own, I, I, don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that's possible. I only know that when, you are, when you're doing withness, when you're with other people, when you find someone that you trust and you take the risk, the bigger choice, when you take the risk of trusting them and talking to them, suddenly you have an entire world of perception and perspective that you can't have on your own. Yeah. Because as smart as you are, you're one person. You know, as old as you are, you're one human. So the depth of, you know, human existence and knowledge is not stored in your brain. So at the moment you bring one other person in, you have a different perception. And and there's, there's something around if you get like I, I, I spent more time deciding which hair extensions to buy than which boyfriend to have. <laughs> now, you yeah. tell me which one has more impact on my life. <laughs> so if you're going to take that decision, then do the research, mm. you know, do the research. I have a friend who, who used to struggle with alcohol and it was hard. It was hard to watch him, you know, and he would do things that go against his and my integrity, cheat on his partner. So it was just awful. And I remember him coming out of, of rehab and saying, you know, how is it going? He's like, it's great, jazz, it's great. It's great. I'm not going back to that life. I said, great, what's going to be different this time? He said, oh, this time I'm going to try really hard. I'm like, I'll see you in six months. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if trying hard was a thing, right, 
We wouldn't need rehab. It, we wouldn't ever no be no addiction if trying hard worked. It's, exactly. it's there are there is more choice available to you than than like. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was it was engaging with other people and, and letting them hold a truth about me mm. when I had let go of the truth about me and just lived. I was swimming in lies, and that's what made it kind of the only choice you have is to leave, and that's a lie. That's not the only choice you have. So. No. I, I, but I don't know how people get out of it on their own. The, the self-confidence comes from the story you have having gone through that and gotten to the other side. That's that's a story people would fight and pay to own mm. without the pain. But you did it the hard way. Yeah. And and that is a story that, you know, I've got a friend at the moment who does Ironmans. <laughs> He's really fit. And he was cycling the other day, just practicing. And a lorry knocked him off. He didn't turn up for a meeting that my husband had with him. And he's on. He's in intensive care. His jaw. They've keeping kept him sedated because his jaw is so broken. Oh. It's too much pain. He's got a wife. He's got two young children. And you know, life. Bam, like that. Yep. We all think, oh yeah, I'm going to live to a hundred. Well, let's hope. But the reality is that at any point, at any time, it can be taken away. And I sent him a text yesterday, even though I know he can't see it, talking about my confidence and faith in him coming through this and and surviving the struggle of rehabilitation. And not only that going on to thrive and drive change for others with this story that he will tell that will encourage others who feel like it's the end. That's where I choose to be. That is where I choose to be. Yeah. And I have no control over what happens, but I have control over how I show up for myself, for him, for family. For, do you know what I mean? I have control over that. So this is what I choose. And I am happy to be wrong. I am happy for him to get over it and go, I'm never talking about that. I am happy to be wrong, but this is what is required right now. Yeah. And this is what I'm showing up and doing. So it's it's the choice aspect the whole time. We have a lot more control than we think we do. Definitely. Yeah, I think. And yeah, we've always gone back to like what you said, just reframing it and how can you use this to help yourself and help others. And this goes into my next question. When the story isn't about us and it's about others, how can we help others and how can we help them uh, rebrand failure or reframe failure and their thinking to be more confident? Well, the story is always about us. It's always about us. You can teach a good game. You could, like, I used to teach, right? I used to be a teacher. My least, well, I had two things I hated. One was infant recorder practice, which is like putting a load of rats <laughs> in a bucket and strangling them and having to have that full blast on earphones. Hated infant yeah. recorder practice. Lunch, I'd do anything to get out of that. And the other thing was taking my kids swimming because it, the way it works in the UK, no schools have pools. So we, we get the kids ready. They're five and six years old, right? They're, getting them in the coach takes hours. You've got to fasten all their seatbelts. We get there. They get undressed. They've got to put these stupid swimming caps on, which is like trying to get a nail jelly to a wall. So we finally <laughs> get them in the pool. They have five minutes to swim. Five minutes. Then it start the whole thing again. Get them out. Go, you get them dressed. No, no one knows where their knickers are. I've got 13 pairs of knickers. How do you not know if you've got your knickers on? I mean, just have you got your knickers on? It's not hard. So I'm yep. still scarred, as you can see. It's still traumatic. Swimming school is but, traumatic. <laughs> just like, why are we doing that? Let's all just not swim. Let's just not not go near the river, just in case. But there's this kind of whole story of, of the effort and everything that went to it. And the thing is, I I could I had the lowest swimming group, right? And 
I'm not a swimmer. I choose not to swim. I don't, I don't like getting my hair extensions wet. I don't like, well, I don't mind it now, but I just, I don't, I'm not a fan. Don't like swimming. Yeah. So I don't, I, I know how to swim because I've seen a YouTube video and I'm a really good teacher. So I spent a year standing on the side of the pool with blue shoes on, teaching my kids to swim. And by the end of the year, they could swim like five meters with a float and someone holding them, whatever the certificate was. I can teach people how to swim without getting wet. <laughs> but is it the same with resilience? Mm. No. Is it the same with confidence? No. Is it the same with having a growth mindset? So I used to, um, I went on to, when I left teaching, to have, I ran my own literacy consultancy and then I was asked to do some growth mindset training with leaders and staff. So I would go into schools and do that. And it was at one point I was sort of telling them how to encourage their kids to have resilience and have confidence. And as I was doing it, I was, I was realising the people I was speaking to did not have a growth mindset themselves. And I suddenly thought, it, literally in the middle of a course, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Because it, I'm, I'm teaching you how to fake it. Now that's completely against my integrity. Mm. Yeah, I can't do that. And yeah. I changed what I started to do. And I remember one of the leaders coming over and saying, I thought this was a course where I could, you know, take some tips and get better at teaching. But you seem to be talking about a complete mindset change. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> because if you want to change someone else's story, you better be sucking it up and living it yourself first. Mm. You, 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 it's all right trying to encourage someone to be brave while you're hiding in the cupboard. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just go for it. It's, it's being a superhero is 95%, you know, believing in yourself. And then at the funeral of the superhero, turns out being a superhero is not 95% believing in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't yeah. go up against them. Yeah, I think you're great. You could do it. I'm just going to stay here where it's safe because I'm terrified. But you're going to be fine. That smacks of a lack of integrity, truth. Mm and care and compassion so i, I like if and it, and it seems like such a cop-out but if you want to make a change in someone else the best and highest thing you can do is yourself is yeah. do the work do the work you know it's like people say when they meet me and see talks go what they always say one you're inspirational i go thank you what have i inspired you to do because inspire is a verb if i've just piqued your interest that's not inspiration that's you going oh that's amazing but what are you going to do what are you going to do more of or less of? What small shift are you going to make? That's what I'm interested in. Mm. And, and the other side of it is, the other thing that people say to me is like, oh, I, do, I want to be like you. And I'm like, really? This is, this is 40 years of work. Do you, really? Do you want to do that? Because it's a lot. If, if you're wanting that sort of, well, yeah, okay, I can see that that's, that's an attractive proposition. That's not what it looks like. So in order for me to show up for my own children, the, the people that came out of my vagina, that the people I care about <laughs> on the planet, for me to show up for them, I have to do the work on myself. Yeah. Like I've got a friend who's always on a diet and she puts pictures of herself on the fridge. She writes messages like, you fat cow, on the biscuit tin. She's got a 12-year-old daughter. It's just videoed. It's all being videoed and recorded. And I'm like, you cannot, you cannot ignore what it's like on the other side of you. It's on, and that's why my TEDx talk resonated. It's not me having, I've got no answers, but I've got a bag full of questions. But I'm prepared to stand in the chaotic fire with people who are at that stage going, I don't know what to do next. I have no confidence. I am not resilient. I I'm, I failed. I don't know how to get back up. I will stand yeah. with you there. Not stand at the back and shout some instructions. <laughs> yeah, I will I will stand in the arena with you. And that that is more powerful than anything you could Definitely. encourage or partake. Yeah, 100%. And I think that part of the TED Talk, I'm just trying to like remember exactly what you said, um, but you were explaining some of the things that you've gone through and you were like, if this sounds like I'm telling your story, then don't worry, this is a safe space and like I've got you, we've got this. 
And that part of that, I was just like, that's so powerful because the thing that I think people want most is just that comfort that somebody understands what you're going Mm. through and you're going to make it out of this. Um, So, yeah, I think that's being an ally and being there with them is the most powerful thing that you can do for a person. I call it wisness. Some people do things to others. Some people do things for others. And some people do things with others. And the greatest of these is with. Yeah. But it costs you the most. So, you know, how committed are you? It comes down to. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And especially if you've got kids or family members or just best friends. You know, I've been through everything with my best friend but shout out to my best friend Ava we've been through everything together like everything like floods rehab graduation you know abusive boyfriends like we've been through everything together and she is just that one person who I know that if anything is happening she's going to be right there and I'm always going to be right there for her and that is just such a powerful thing Um, and you speak about yeah in the talk about people stepping up to be that person for other people. And it's hard and it's it can be difficult to comprehend, but it's so powerful. If you can be that person for somebody, even in just the smallest way, change. It yeah. changes the game. It does. And it is the small ways. It's not giving up your life, selling everything you own and walking naked through the streets. Going, <laughs> yeah. I will be with you. It's just in the like when somebody says to me, you know, oh, someone, I haven't seen him for a while and, oh, my, my dad died or my brother died. And the British thing to say is sorry, as if you had anything to do with it. But sorry is a, oh, I'm so sorry. And please don't let talk about it because I don't know what to say and I don't want to get it wrong. I don't know what to say and I, I don't mind getting it wrong because I care about you. So I'll say, I don't know how, I don't know how you're feeling or what you're going through. I don't know how you're navigating this, but I am glad that you've told me and I will stand here with you. Yep. That's that is so powerful. It's a bit better than sorry. So <laughs> definitely, you don't have to have it right before you put yourself out there. You have exactly. to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah, and no one expects you to get it like bang on perfect. Like no. you're allowed to make those mistakes and ask questions and be there for that person in the ways that you're able to be. And I think that's just yeah. so so important for everybody, no matter who you are. I think everyone can take something away from this. Um, yeah. So thank yeah. you so much. That pretty much brings us to the end of it. Um, thank you so much for being here today, Jazz. It has been such a pleasure. I think no matter who you are or where you're listening from, I think everyone can get something out of this podcast and you are such an inspiration once again. Um, so for those who want to learn a little bit more about you, or I think you mentioned your human first Academy, where can they, where can they look for that? So my, my website is always a good place to start. Well, more than that, if you put, because I've been on a lot of reality TV shows, that's my hobby. If you put jazz with one Z and apprentice into Google, you find me straight away. So even though I've got this website I've worked really hard on, I don't know that it's useful because you just Google it. But, uh, but I do have um, my TEDx talk, obviously, is free. And I encourage people to go and watch that as part of um, reframing their story. It's, it's a good starting point. Um, and then I also, obviously I speak. So if you want to book me to speak or inquire about that, that's great. Go to my website. I'm all over social media, jazz and parfum. I'm sure you'll share that link. Um, but my human first Academy is the thing I'm proudest of after I've spoken or done an interview, people always say, Oh, will you coach me? Can I work with you? 
and I am I'm booked up to speak like 18 months ahead so I don't like my husband runs the coaching and consultancy side of our business so I, I don't do a lot of that but the Human First Academy is is about training um, everything I know, everything I've learned and gleaned, there are courses on imposter syndrome, on resilience, on well, well, post-pandemic well-being, or as I like to call it, well-being for idiots, because that's yep. me. <laughs> but, so, and it's like each course is six, 10-minute videos. So it's me for 10 minutes talking you through. And then you can listen to it, read it, whatever. And then there's a little playbook where you join in. So I've designed that and, and, and organizations buy it. But now in the academy, it means that there's a goal setting element. And every month um, you get to hang out with me and I do a live coaching and training session with whoever is there. So it's it's really, it, it's a program. That, and it's like, it's 12 months. It's a 12 month program. And it's oh, wow. 295 pounds, which is it's 300 pounds, which is such a, it's it's low priced for a year and 12 group sessions with me and a Facebook group and all the content because yeah. I don't want to put a barrier between people being their fullest selves mm. and finance. It's it's yeah. a thing that most people's work would say, okay, personal pressure development here's 300 quid. So so yeah, so it's the thing, it's running, it's 12 months from when you start. So it's an evergreen thing, but 12 months, if you start next month, then it's 12 months for you. But people change. I mean, I I, am, I built it and I'm still like, wow, it, it really works. I mean, people do make <laughs> massive changes, leave yeah. jobs, leave toxic relationships, get promotions. People, people live life in That's that amazing. country. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that people are taking responsibility and owning their story. Exactly. And yeah, that's so inspiring and incredible that you're just making those changes in that people's life. That is yeah, very motivating. Uh, so again, thank you so much for being here. And to our listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're listening from. And we will see you next time. Thank you again so much, Jazz, for being here. Thank and, you. Um, Take yeah, care. Have a good day, guys. Bye. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.